0: Good morning again. It's been a real joy to be with you, uh, for us worshiping in a new community, a new congregation here, and just to see again and be reminded again of uh, how much worship is happening on Sunday mornings. Uh, just imagine what it seems like in heaven on a Sunday morning uh, with all the churches that are gathering to uh, worship God. Well, we've had uh, a great time this morning hearing from the Word of God. We've heard good music. Uh, I'll be sharing so you can hear something about uh, worship in Papua New Guinea and what the Bible says about worship. Hearing. Have you thought what an amazing thing that is, the sense of hearing? Uh, you know, we have, if things are working well, we each have one ear on each side of our heads. With those two ears, we can not only tell when there is sound and when there's not sound around us, but we can judge just how far away that sound is. And we can not only judge just how far away that sound is, but we can even tell if it's up high or down low, just with two ears, it's pretty amazing. Uh, And then thinking about hearing music, well, when we listen to music, uh, many people uh, claim that they're tone deaf, that they aren't musical, they don't know music, and that's just a sad product of our culture, telling us that only professional performers can be musical, but think about how musical We really are, that uh, when I'm driving in the car and I'm scanning through radio stations, you know, I, I spend about probably less than half a second before I decide in my mind if I want to stay on that station or go on. And it's not just recognizing if I've heard the song before, that would be amazing, but that my brain in half a second can figure out if that's the style of music I'd be interested in listening to more. And you all are probably the same way. The next time you scan up and down the radio dial, think about it. How much time do you need before your brain tells you, push the button again, or stay there? (laughs) And tune recognition, though though some people claim to be tone deaf, we have an amazing ability to recognize a song that we know, no matter how it's performed. Uh, Whatever key it's sung in, however fast or slow, our brains can tell us what song that is. I was reminded of this a few nights ago when we were eating at a restaurant and a waiter came to another table and sang happy birthday to you very badly. <laughs> but I knew what he was singing. I knew in my mind what it was supposed to sound like. That's really pretty amazing. We don't just memorize songs, but our brains understand pitches and, and tones and melodies in a relative way. It's just astounding. And most of us are not tone deaf. That's uh, the number of people who are technically tone deaf is very small. And it uh, most often is the result of a brain injury, not a natural occurring condition. So the, the sense of hearing is really important. And it's one of those things we can, we can think about and think, what an amazing God that he thought us up, that he made this world and put us in it, and uh, that it's a world where we can hear. Uh, So, hearing is important, music is really important to God, and uh, that's what motivates our work in Papua New Guinea, is encouraging local believers there to sing to God from their hearts. Not just repeating what outsiders have brought in from other countries, not just learning by rote some kind of music that doesn't uh, resonate within them, doesn't bring them any joy, but no, to be singing from the heart, to really sing songs that connect with emotions, that connect with memories and stories and and feelings inside them. Well, what I want to share with you this morning is actually a part of a Bible study that I go through with Papua New Guineans when I'm teaching. I often teach uh, one or two week music and songwriting workshops in remote Papua New Guinean villages, and we're trying to get people interested in uh, this new freedom of composing whatever kind of song they like using their own instruments their own languages their own musical structures but as i said in the sunday school hour when we we're talking about our work there uh... we start off not just with songwriting but we do a little bit of bible study i want people to be assured that god values their musical language just like he values their speaking language and other aspects of their cultures so just to as a way of showing you what I'm sharing with people there but also bringing that teaching that knowledge to you uh, I'd like to share part of that Bible study with you this morning uh, I've called this uh message uh, music Moses and missionaries and the part of the Bible study I'm going to bring out and share with you is three times in the life of Moses in the Old Testament when Moses uses uh, music or instruments or dance as a way of strengthening his leadership of the people of Israel. Uh, many of us know something about Moses. Uh, if you were raised in a church and Sunday school, you've heard some of the big stories about Moses crossing the Red Sea, the burning bush, uh, the plagues in Egypt, receiving the Ten Commandments, and many others. But did you know that music was a big part of his life, that Moses was quite musical and open to using music to strengthen his leadership. Well, that's what we'll learn today, and through these three examples, we'll see three different ways that God is showing us uh, that we can use music and instruments. So these are things that happened to Moses, but we'll look at them and see what is God saying to us today here and to Papua New Guineans there about uh, using music. What freedoms has God given us? Uh, What does God say to us about music? Uh, The first passage we'll look at is Exodus 15. To put this in its place, Exodus 14 has the story of Moses leading the Israelites across the Red Sea when they were being pursued by the Egyptian army. I'm sure a lot of you know that story. If you don't know it or you haven't read it for a while, uh, it's worth going back to Exodus 14 and reading that amazing miracle story of deliverance. So Exodus 14 tells that story. Exodus 15, we see what the Israelites did right after that. And it's kind of interesting. So I'll read a little bit of Exodus 15 starting at the beginning. The floods covered them, they went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils the waters piled up, the floods stood in a heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. So what did the Israelites do right after witnessing this amazing, astounding miracle of God? Moses leads them in a song to praise the Lord. I think that's interesting in itself. If you look through the Old Testament, you'll find a lot of examples of uh, something miraculous happening. And then one of the first responses to that is for people to sing a song and uh, sort of memorialize it in song so they won't forget it. What we see in this uh, song is that it's a song of praise. It's talking about God's strength and goodness to his people. But also it has a story in it, doesn't it? If you didn't know the story of the Red Sea, it might be a little confusing. But this tells the story of what the Israelite people had just come through. So we look at this song, and it doesn't just say, God, you're good, you're strong, you're mighty, you're great. Oh, it also says, God, you threw Pharaoh's army into the sea, you drowned the soldiers and the horses, you overcame our enemy. That's pretty specific. So it's talking about a real story, it's not just a general praise song. And that's the first thing that I I want to point out as our first point, is that God enjoys having us tell our story to him in song, and praising him through our stories. Uh, A lot of songs contain stories or contain pieces of who we are, and uh, one of the reasons that I want Papua New Guineans to compose their own new songs, instead of taking from us or from other Western nations, is that I want them to be able to tell their story so that we can hear it and enjoy it with them and so that God can hear it and receive praise through what he's done for them. So in Papua New Guinea, stories of miraculous healings, of deliverance, of freedom from spirits, of all kinds of provision that God has shown in uh, great and miraculous ways, I want people to sing about that, just like the Hebrews in the Old Testament were free to sing in the Psalms and in all sorts of other places in the Old Testament about what God had just done for them. So I want people to sing their own story. And you can imagine, if people sing only songs that come from another country, people, you know, another country with people with much different stories, the songs will reflect that not always, but some details. So think of the, the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. There's a line in that hymn that talks about summer and winter and springtime and harvest. That works well for us, but Papua New Guinea, being in the tropics, doesn't have that. Papua New Guinea has rainy season and dry season. So when, if they have to sing summer and winter and springtime and harvest... They're singing somebody else's story. That's fine, but that's, shouldn't, they shouldn't be limited to that all the time. Uh, if you can imagine, you know, what if every Christian song you sang in church came from a community that lived in a desert? Well, some, of the, some parts of the songs would be fine. It wouldn't, wouldn't uh, seem strange. But every now and then, you can imagine there might be something specific to living in a desert. And that would be a lot different than here. So if we give only those kinds of songs, songs that tell our story, but now Papua New Guineans are singing them, there's a danger that the Papua New Guinean Christians will feel that Christianity is really kind of an American thing, a European thing. And the more Western you can become, the closer to God you can get. And uh, Christianity will seem like a distant religion. They may accept it, but it will always bear the marks of being a foreign religion, an imported product. So what I'm encouraging people to do in in Papua New Guinea is to compose songs that tell stories that mean something to them. I'm always telling people, don't just say the same things about God all the time, but put something of your story, of your testimony, of your home village into the song uh, so that generations from now people will know and remember what happened to you. Just as if you read through the Psalms, you'll find many mentions of the Red Sea miracle. The Jewish people kept singing that story generation after generation and they never forgot it. I wonder if it's got even extra strength because it was in song right away. And then I look at some of the Papua New Guinea communities I've worked in where amazing things have happened and they don't sing about it because they only get songs from the outside. They don't write their own songs. And I, I just hate to think of these stories being lost when they should be retold and resung again and again. Uh, I'm excited when I see people celebrating God's work in their area, and their lives, uh, in song and in their own language. And one example is uh, the next slide. This was uh, uh, from a workshop I did in Port Moresby, the capital city of Papua New Guinea. It, all the participants in this songwriting course were uh, pastors or worship leaders in large multicultural town churches. Uh, But they just, they wanted to know how to put new songs into their worship programming for Sunday mornings and other times. So this uh, young woman in the picture is named Naomi, and she was just a fantastic worship leader from a local uh, Methodist church in town. Uh, I think the best singer I've ever recorded, and she came up with a song that has a story that's familiar to all Papua New Guineans. It's a song that tells about a father who deserts his family. Now we have that story here, too, Uh, in Papua New Guinea because uh, gender roles are so specific. There's work that men do and there's work that women do, and they don't really traditionally mix. So when the father leaves the family, there's nobody to do the work that he was supposed to do, whether that was the hunting or the gardening or uh, working in town to get money, whatever it was, the father is now gone and uh, the family is at a loss. That's a common story in Papua New Guinea, uh, sadly, and any Papua New Guinean who hears uh, of this understands. They know somebody who's been in this situation. So this young woman, Naomi, wrote a song that first starts out in kind of a traditional musical style, and it talks about uh, how hard it is when the father leaves the family, all the things that now don't happen, the money for school fees, the new clothes, the food, and it paints a sad picture and then it turns around in the second half it comes into more of a a strumming guitar praise chorus that a congregation could sing along to and it talks about how uh, God is our true father and he never deserts us he always does what he's supposed to do and that contrast is really powerful for Papua New Guineans to understand that God isn't like the pathetic fathers who desert the family and go off to live in town or take another wife or whatever they do. But God really does do all of the work, all of the things that he promises to us. So that, I I just love the song because it is a story that Papua New Guineans resonate with. And it's something that didn't come from another country. It came out of the heart of this young woman who uh, is so sad for what she sees happening domestically in her country. So I'd actually like to play you that song. And uh, I've got the words, it's in Tok Pizin mostly, which is a trade language in Papua New Guinea, it's spoken in towns and all over the country. Uh, so I've got the Tok Pizin for those of you who like to see what the real language looks like. Uh, and then I've got a little translation in English so you can follow along with the meaning. So we'll play that first audio example. <laughs>
1: <speaking in> Papai <Spanish>
0: goes on. That was a, a great song because it has the story, but musically, also because it solved a problem that some of the, the church leaders in town were having. And that is when you have multicultural congregations, multilingual congregations, how do you put anything traditional? Because everybody's tradition is different. And so uh, Naomi had this idea where you have an intro to a song that affirms a kind of traditional Papua New Guinean feeling but then becomes a song that is like what they play in a town church and like what we sing here, something that the whole congregation can sing along with. So I just love everything about that song, uh, and I love her voice too. And it's, it's a great example of uh, telling a story uh, that tells everybody something about God and praises God for who he is. So that's our first point, is uh, that we, God wants us to praise him through telling our story in song. Our second point is that God is interested in us using every part of our lives to worship him, that there's nothing that's outside of his domain, there's nothing that's outside of his interest. Uh, A lot of times, Papua New Guineans, and maybe we would say Americans too, feel that uh, worship is what happens when you enter the church building on Sunday morning. And it stops when the pastor gets up and says, you are dismissed, and then you're back to normal life. In the Bible, we get a very different picture. We see all kinds of things in the Bible, not just songs for worship in the tabernacle or temple, but songs for marriage, for birth, for funeral, for victory and warfare. All parts of life are covered somewhere in the Bible. And that's exciting for Papua New Guineans to hear. Um, so I'm going to read another... Example, another part of the life of Moses that has to do with instruments and also has to do with worship that is not uh, necessarily uh, within a church building or a worship meeting setting. So this comes from Numbers 10, and I'm just going to read the first 10 verses or so. This comes from the time when the Israelites are wandering in the desert and they haven't come to the promised land yet. And Moses, uh, in this section, is still learning some leadership techniques. How do you lead over a million people uh, in the wilderness? So God is teaching him, and listen to this teaching that God gives him. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets. Of hammered work ye shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for breaking camp. And when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the chiefs, the head of the tribes of Israel, shall gather themselves to you. When you blow an alarm, the camps that are on the east side shall set out. And when you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown whenever they are to set out. But when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow a long blast, and you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be to you for a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And when you go to war in your land against the adversary who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, that you may be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. On the day of gladness also, and at your appointed feasts, and at the beginnings of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone preach on Numbers ten one through 10 before, it doesn't seem to have a lot of uh, great points to pull out, but what I'm going to say about it is that what God is saying here is he's giving Moses instructions for making two silver trumpets. <clears throat> when the trumpets are made, <clears throat> then the priests, the leaders, will use these trumpets to give send signals to the whole community all at once. Imagine leading over a million people. How would you get a message to them? If you need to call a meeting with one section, one part of that group, what would you do? You'd send a lot of messengers running around and hope that it's not like the telephone game where it gets, the message gets stranger as it's passed along. So God knows that this is going to be difficult, and he gives Moses this system where you play the trumpets, everybody can hear it, and everybody just knows what to do. So he gives him this system of signaling and it is a much easier and more efficient means of leading the people to one thing or another. The thing that I like, and one thing that I like about this is that it's not a worship kind of thing. You know, it's not something they did in, just in the tabernacle. He says they do it over the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. But it's not just a house of worship uh, activity that God is telling them to do. It's something for all, all of life. If you need to have a meeting with this group, blow the trumpets this way. If it's time to get ready to go to war, blow the trumpets this way. So it's something that happens in everyday life. And then God says, when you do this, it's a way, of, uh, it's a way that I'll remember you. If you do what I'm telling you, I'll remember you and I'll save you. When you're in, in battle and you need my help, you blow the trumpets as an alarm and I'll hear you and I'll come down and save you. So it's uh, it's showing that even this kind of everyday thing, a system of signaling a large group of people, can be an act of worship. And it's something that God sees and is interested in and can even enjoy. That people did this as he told them and he, uh, he would remember them and save them. And indeed, in one of the battles that happens later on uh, in the Old Testament, we find the Israelites fighting and they're surrounded. There's no way they can win the battle and they blow these trumpets and God miraculously saves them in this battle. So it did really happen. God was true to his promise. What this means to Papua New Guineans is something different because in uh, Papua New Guinea, a lot of communities traditionally had a log drum uh, called in Tokpizim the garamut. And the garamut is simply a section of log. You you cut the skin, uh, the bark off the outside. There's a little Uh, opening in the top, a long narrow opening, and they dig out the whole inside, leaving a hollow shell, like a huge wood block. So these can be six feet long, several feet tall, or they can be very small. But uh, traditionally, villages would have some of these, and somebody could go out to the garamut, take a long stick and hit the garamut, and the sound, this booming sound resonates through the whole jungle. And so in that way, they could send a message to the next village. They could announce that somebody has died and so the family needs to come for the funeral. Uh, If a husband is out hunting in the jungle, his wife can send him a message while he's out hunting and tell him the the child is sick and he needs to come home or ask him how much food he's gotten. Uh, You can, traditionally, you could say just about anything you wanted to using this almost Morse code-like signaling on the garamut. So when I read this section, Numbers 1 through 10, it doesn't mean much to us. Uh, We don't really take much from that, but Papua New Guineans hear that and they think, wow, this is God giving Moses something that's almost exactly like our Garamut, something that we had traditionally. And uh, it's very exciting for them, very interesting. And so what I wanted to show you is just a little bit uh, from the Alemblak language group where I learned quite a bit about the Garamut signals. There was one old man in the village who still remembered everything, and you'll see him on this video. And uh, we'll just watch the video and see a little bit of. I mean, Yon-
1: now.
0: Yes, yes, me So traditionally you, you would have heard a lot of that around the village as people sent messages to each other. And imagine if the next village over was through a swamp or down the river, it's a lot more efficient to send a message on an instrument than it is to send somebody with the message. So when Papua New Guineans hear Numbers chapter 10 and they see God giving instructions for this kind of signaling system, they think, wow, God cares about that, that uh, God is not just, you know, held captive inside the church building, but he sees us when we're hitting the garmut, when we're sending signals to each other, and so that's very affirming, that God is the God of every day, he's the God of everything we do, and so worship is doing what we do well, and doing it with an attitude of praise and giving glory to God. Uh the final section uh comes from near the end of Moses' life from Deuteronomy 31. And this this point is about communicating the message, the gospel, whatever message you want to give people in a way that's uh, beautiful and appropriate and effective and attractive. <clears throat> so here this this is uh, I'm going to start reading in uh, Deuteronomy 31:16. And I'll just read a little bit. I won't read this whole section. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land, flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, This song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. Uh, For I know what they are inclined to do even today, before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. Now this song takes most of the rest of Deuteronomy. So I won't read it all, but if you want to look at it, this is Moses and Joshua, who would be the next leader of Israel, standing up in front of all the people of Israel and singing the law of God one last time before Moses dies. Shortly after this, Moses is going to die. So this is the last time that he gives the people the law. These were not uh, people who read books. So understanding the law came through hearing it. And what God says here is not is is don't just read it to them, don't just speak it, but sing it. Because as we know, what you hear spoken is quickly forgotten, but what you hear sung may stick with you for years and years. I have heard I don't know how many sermons in my life and how many details do I remember about any of them? Even two weeks ago, i not that many details. I enjoyed them. I think I learned a lot from them. That's what I thought when I heard them. But as far as recalling specific points or things about the sermons, I couldn't repeat to you what the pastors had said. Now, on the other hand, there are songs that I learned when I was probably three or four years old in Sunday school that I will never forget. And uh, so what God is saying here is what we know in, in our experience, that music actually strengthens the message and makes it last longer in the memory. So Moses and Joshua stand up and sing the law. To the people one final time and God says even when they've left me when they've broken my covenant and done all sorts of evil still they're going to remember that song and that's what will remind them of what they should be doing Uh, so this is true uh, I I think when I'm reading through the psalms uh, if you think about that that you know look at these verses from the psalms and with all of those I can hardly read them without thinking of a melody that goes with them And maybe you're the same way if you know some of the same songs. But, uh, you know, isn't it interesting to read through the psalms and you read and read and read and then you get to a verse like this and suddenly it just jumps out because I know that. I know that one. That's a song. Uh, Amidst all the other stuff that, you know, is read and then leaves the mind fairly quickly, those ones that you know because you know the songs, they jump out and you you think about them more. You remember them better. Uh, Advertisers know this that uh, commercials will use a song because they want you to remember the product and if they just say it, you might not remember it, but if there's a, an annoying little song, <laughs> you'll remember the product because you can't get the song out of your head, although sometimes I can remember the song and I can't remember what the product was, but anyway, uh, what, what I'd like to do is uh, play another audio example, this is from in the Alain language and this is a Bible verse, it's loosely John 3.16. Uh, that God sent his son Jesus. And this is another thing I'm excited to see, in addition to the story songs, is when Papua New Guineans compose uh, songs to go with Bible verses. So they will remember verses just as we do from our Sunday school songs and our hymns. And uh, that gets the people interacting with the Bible more and gets them more interested in what God is saying because it's interesting to compose songs. It's interesting to learn a new song. It's uh, in a lot of ways more easy to easier to memorize a verse as a song than it is just to memorize a verse as words. So here's a little example of some Allemblock traditional music uh, to this verse. <laughs> you listen to that, you can hear a lot of things that are different from the kind of music we had this morning here, but for an Allen Block person, that music speaks very deeply and very closely to the heart, and to be able to sing something about God, about the gospel in that style is just enormously more fulfilling and more interesting and more joyful than to learn a hymn or a song in the style that we prefer here. Uh, so, what, uh, so again, the point there is that we have a message that is worth hearing. In Wycliffe Bible Translators, we believe that message is worth hearing in everybody's first language. We don't think that somebody should have to learn English and certainly not have to learn Hebrew and Greek to understand what God is saying to us through the Bible. Uh, we're blessed to be English speakers and have so many choices available to us to, for Bibles to read. Many people in the world have not a single verse in their own first language and so they're dependent on uh, sometimes not completely clearly understood truths from a, a second or third language. So with uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators, we want people to have access in their own language and within that, related to that, I really want people to have the freedom to express themselves and create new kinds of worship, new songs so that they can be fully who they are culturally and also fully uh, part of the family of God. And uh, communicating those truths in a way that's beautiful and attractive and joyful in singing is just wonderful to see. It's something we've been excited to be a part of, uh, something that draws out interest. People who didn't know to ask for this sort of training and encouragement uh, show up and are really excited to know that now we can sing, God, sing to God in our language and in our style. We don't have to hide who we are when we go inside the church building. We can worship all day, every day, and we can worship in the styles that mean a lot to us, to our hearts. So that's the, uh, a glimpse of things that I would teach to Papua New Guineans. Now you've heard it too. And this is some of the teaching that frees them up to try something new in Christ. And my prayer is that uh, you will uh, now be praying for your brothers and sisters in Papua New Guinea who uh, have just found this freedom of creativity or who haven't found it yet but would would like to start. That you'll be praying for strength and encouragement and know also that they will be praying for you and they'll be grateful for what Americans and other Westerners have done for them. So we have a lot to learn from each other. And I hope that exchange will uh, will be good and will, will begin happening even between Papua New Guinea and Ferndale. So thank you for your prayers for us, for our ministry, for Papua New Guinea. And uh, I just pray blessings on all of you for your worship and your uh, journeys with God. Let me pray and we'll close this talk. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thanks that we have so much that you've Uh, had written down for us so that we can learn things, even indirectly, about what you would want us to be and to do and to say. Thank you for how important music is to you. We know from throughout the Bible that you are a musician and that music is not something we came up with or that the devil created. It's something that is part of you and part of who we are as your image so help us to rejoice and celebrate that and to enjoy the music with you and i pray that for us for Papua new guineans and for all christians everywhere that we may be free to celebrate our freedom in christ through the songs and the languages and the worship that uh, that makes us joyful i pray all these things in the name of your son jesus amen